kind of left off last time round, if you remember. I know it was a few weeks ago now, um, but we were looking at the uh, throne of heaven, and we um, had a look at what was going on there in the very first uh, couple of verses and some of the imagery that was going on there and and, and certainly verse 3 of Revelation chapter number 4 as we dealt with the jasper and the sardine stone and we we pointed that to the the, the high priest breastplate and how the stones represent the tribes and how the tribes that were represented were the tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Benjamin and how that pictured, Behold the Son, Son of my right hand, as we catch a glimpse of the, the throne of heaven. And it's a, it's a beautiful picture. We've seen Jasper in there and that rainbow, uh, but of course the eternal circle that was going on there. Jasper again, uh, the tribe of Judah. Judah means praise. And so there's wonderful uh, pictorial stuff going on there. And uh, we also looked, um, didn't we, at, if you remember, the three heavens. We, we went through that, and uh, that's all good stuff. But tonight we're going to move on in our study. So let's just pray, and then we'll get into the kind of second, second point of this study in, in the view around the throne. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you, Lord, once again for who you are. We thank you for everything that's been sung this evening, Lord, and um, Lord, just what a tribute of praise it is to you to be able to sing unto you that um, you are the creator God, you are the all-knowing God, the all-comforting God, the God that loves us with an eternal, everlasting, unconditional love, and we thank you for that, Lord. And as we think about this glimpse of the heavens this evening, what a majestic sight it is. And Lord, we don't have words in our vocabulary to truly do it justice, but I pray, Lord, that you would help me to um, expound your word in a way that would be meaningful to us, that it would be uh, educational, it would be uplifting, it would be challenging, Lord, all of the things that we need this evening. And I pray, Lord, that you would supply in and through your word. And I pray that you would give me strength through my weakness. Give me clarity of speech and thought. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we want to pick up in Revelation chapter number 4, and we'll read verse 4 here. And it, Well, actually, we'll read from verse 1, just because we, it's been a couple of weeks, and it's only a few verses. So, Revelation 4. After this I looked, behold, the door was opened in heaven. This is verse 1. And the first voice which I heard was... It, as it were, a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show you the things which must be hereafter. And if you remember, I've told you how we break down the book of Revelation into three sections, and and we get that from the book of Revelation earlier on. The things which are, the things which will be, uh, and the the things that are, sorry, hereafter. And that's what we're looking at uh, this evening. And then verse 2, and immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set up in heaven, And one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. So if we've looked at, first of all, uh, last time round we've looked at the view of the throne this is the view around the throne and it says in verse 4 around about the throne were four and twenty uh, seats now again we use the king james here and uh, if you look in the greek it's it's the same word that's that's used but what the king james does for us is is the 
having seats instead of thrones as well helps us to differentiate between the real order of things in here. There's one true sovereign throne. Any other throne is a lesser throne, and that kind of helps us a little bit. But the question is not really, you know, about the seats, but the question arises, who are those that are seated upon these seats? And uh, we have to answer the question and, and do our best to do that. And some people will say that these are angelic beings. So they'll, they'll read this and say, round about the throne, this is the throne room of heaven, there's four and twenty seats. Upon the seats, four and twenty elders, and these elders are angelic beings. They're, they're a special created order of angels. Now, I don't take that view. I don't really think that there's a, a, a lot going for that view. But there are people that will take it and they will defend it. And uh, for me, it, it's, not, it's not for me. And again, we can't be dogmatic here. We can't be dogmatic. Because Scripture doesn't dogmatically say who they are. But we can be uh, reasoned in our approach. And we can look and try and work it out. And when we look, I don't think that these are angelic beings. Others say that they're not angelic beings. They are uh, human beings. Uh, men, particularly, represented here. And, and this is the view I take. But even within this view, which is the, probably the, the more popular view, there are divisions. If they're men, if they're human beings, who are they? And some will say that they're Israel and the church. I know that Pastor Moore, I think, takes this, takes this view, um, that they're Israel and the church, and 12 and 12. So 12 uh, um, uh, tribes of Israel, 12 apostles, church, and uh, Israel represented. And the number 12 is, is, is that number of perfect uh, f- uh, governmental organization foundation. That's why the number 12 appears in, in Scripture. And, and that's why there is 12 apostles. That's why there is 12 uh, tribes of Israel. Because it's God's ordered system in that. Now, I don't personally take that view. I take a, a, a different view. I believe that these 24 elders represent the church. Now, I'm going to expound why I believe that view. You can take any of those views, and again, like I've said, we can't be dogmatic on this and say my view is absolutely right and your view is absolutely wrong. We can't say that until we get to heaven and we find out my view is right and your view is absolutely wrong. Um, but no, we have to just look at it and see. But so I'm given revelation where, where I cannot be dogmatic in any of the passages of Scripture, I'm going to be honest and I'm going to tell you. I'm going to say to you that I can't be dogmatic in certain areas of Scripture. But I will give you what I think and why I think it and back it up with some scriptural thought. Then it's up to you to make your own um, uh, opinion. There are places in the book of Revelation where I, I will be dogmatic and I will not deviate position. That's when God's Word says exactly that. But when there's a little bit of ambiguity that doesn't take away from what's going on here, but... We have to then be reasonable in, in allowing people to have their own views. And, you know, the thing is, I, I guess, but when we get to heaven, we will not be worried about who these people were. The only thing that will take our mind in heaven and our attention and our focus is the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, and it's a bit, that's a little bit frustrating. I say that because there's lots of things that I want answered. But when I get to the point where I can get the answers... I won't care about the answers. But that's, that's the beauty of God and how he takes human thinking. It'll not matter when we are in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll just worship him as who he is and for what he is. So, 
Again, I take the, the, the view that the 24 represents, these 24 represent the church. Here's, here's why. Um, we've got four points to get through in the, in the throne of heaven. I'm going to see how we get on, and if we can get through it, we will. But I don't want to rush this too much, because it, it's worth, worth looking at. So, in Scripture, the number 24 is associated as a number of representation. You'll see this. Now, again... I've said, and as we go through the book of Revelation especially, when you get into uh, prophetical stuff, you know, numbers are important. They are important, but not every number is important. I think that's a key distinction we need to make. There are very clear numbers that are important in Scripture. Number five, number of grace. Number four, number of creation, etc. Number 12, we've looked at. The number seven, we've looked at before. Uh, the number six, uh, the number of man. And, and, but not every number is important. So, you know, 33, you know, you may find it in Scripture, but it's not necessarily uh, a highlight and a huge point. And I think people can go too far where they, they break it down that every single number appears has, has some hidden meaning. And that's not necessarily the case. But when there is clear evidential um, repetition of these numbers and they are, they are used, it's worth looking at. It's worth looking at. But if you turn with me to 1 Chronicles, we'll go back to the Old Testament and we'll have a look at this number 24. <laughs> it's one of the questions that we need to ask when we get to heaven. Lord, is it 1 Chronicles or 1 Chronicles? <laughs> 1 Chronicles chapter 24. And verses 3 to 5. Let me just get there. This is the divisions of the sons of Aaron. This is the divisions of, of the priests. And uh, 1 Chronicles 24, verse number 3. And David distributed them, both Zadok, the sons of Eleazar. And of course, we, we looked at Eleazar this morning, if you remember. And Emelech, the sons of Ithmar, according to their offices in this, their service. And there were more chief men found of the sons of Eleazar than of the sons of Ithamar. Thus they were divided. Among the sons of Eleazar there were 16 chief men of the house of their father. So mathematicians, get that locked in. We've got 16 uh, of the house of their fathers and 8 among the sons of Ithamar according to the house of their fathers. And they divided by lot one sort with another for the governors of the sanctuary, the governors of the house of God, were the sons of Eleazar and the sons of Ithamar. More. So we had 16 of the sons of Eleazar, and then we had 8 of the sons of Ithamar coming along. What's that number? 24. Clever, clever. I always thought the evening crowd were much more switched on than the morning crowd. Do you know that? I really did. So there's, there's 24 of them. So when the, the Jewish reader would read Revelation and, and read that number uh, 24 all the way forward in Revelation chapter 4 and see that number 24, they would think immediately of what was going on there. And what happened there is that the priests were divided up into their courses, courses of 24. And each one of their, their courses or their units, whatever way you want to call it, used to do a two-week stint in their duties and they, they spread it out. So when you get to the gospel story and you find um, uh, Zacharias who is uh, he's up in the temple according to his course. He's the eighth in order, and he's in for his, his two-week stint. And at one of the, we're doing this at, at home with the kids. We're reading through um, uh, just the entire New Testament. 
and um, we're reading it and we're all reading together. Everybody's got their own their own their own book. It's 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 the Bible, but it's it's condensed and and just um, easier easier to read. There's no verses or anything like that. It's just the whole thing. And so we're reading it through together, and, and we've gone through Matthew. We finished Matthew, and we, we ask questions. You know, on a Monday night, we sit down and talk about it and pray about it and whatever. And one of the questions is, you know, what impressed you about what you read during the week? And what impressed me about what I read about Zacharias? You know, when he has he has this um, amazing event, and and you know, um, he he is his, his mouth is shut by the angel, isn't it? And it says in there that he went and finished his course. He went and did the remainder of his two weeks. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking, if that was me, I don't know if I would be particularly ready for Wednesday night Bible study. <laughs> I don't know if I would. But he went and he'd done his, done his job. He was finishing his course because he, he was in his two-week uh, stint. And so when the, 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 the Jewish reader certainly would see that number 24 and they would realize that that is a number of representation. The priests were representing the nation and they would look back on that. And of course, we've already been told in the book of Revelation that we are kings and priests. We read that in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6. We'll read it again um, when we get to chapter 5 of Revelation. You can have a look there if you like. Revelation 5 verse 10. Says this, and has made us unto our God kings and priests. So we're already kings and priests, and uh, as such, the elders uh, depicted, uh, seated before Christ, are representative of some form of priesthood, I believe. And uh, what priesthood is that? Well, I think it's the priesthood that we belong to, the royal priesthood, the priesthood of the church. Now, uh, Revelation 4 again, back in there. And uh, Revelation 4, verse 4, the, these uh, people or beings or whoever you, you take it as, they're described as elders. That word elders is presbyteros, where we get Presbyterian from in the uh, English language. Um, so for me, straight away, that rules out the fact that they're uh, angels. Because Scripture never refers to angels as elders. Never. It's never, ever referred, applied to the angels. So, again, I think that, that speaks a little bit. So these are elders, and then it says they're clothed in white raiment. That's the pictorial uh, language of righteousness. Uh, turn to Revelation 19, verse 8. Revelation 19, verse 8. That white is the picture of righteousness, salvation, uh, holiness, we see that in the tabernacle. That's why the tabernacle is surrounded by white uh, linen. That's the barrier. Uh, Revelation 19, verse 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen. Clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And of course, that's picturing the church, the bride of Christ that's being ready. So these elders, they're, they're elders, which is never referred to in anywhere else as any form of angelic being. They never get that designation. It's always people. And those people are always representatives of something. We've looked at the number 24, and that's a number of representation of, of a priestly body. Um, we've seen that these elders are clothed in white raiment. Again, the, the picture of, of redemption, salvation, and righteousness. Also, we find that they are redeemed. And that's Revelation 5, verse 9. So if you look at uh, verse 9, well, we can read from verse 8 of Revelation 5, and that helped us a little in the context. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, 
having every one of them harps, golden vials full of odors, which is the prayer of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, they are worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and nation, people and nation. The question is, were the angels ever redeemed? No, 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 no. The angels fell, but never redeemed. No angel will ever be redeemed. The angels that have fell have fell finally forever. It's done. It's done for them. But the, the saint, whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, has been redeemed. So we're, we're looking at this. We're looking at 24, the number of representation. We're looking at the, the white uh, linen, the picture of righteousness or holiness. We're looking at the fact that they're redeemed in verse 9. Uh, Revelation 4.4 4 also tells us that they had crowns on their heads, crowns of gold. This is uh, Stephanos in the Greek. This is the woven crown, not the diadem, the solid crown. Um, Revelation 19.12 is an example of the solid crown that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, wears. But these Stephanos crowns uh, are crowns that we can win, I believe, as believers. So you can do the study in that. I'm sure it's been done in here before. The five crowns that are available for those that live a life faithful unto the Lord. You've got the incorruptible crown. You've got the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, and of course the crown of of life. So now we're building the picture. We get number 24, representative of a priestly body, I believe. We've got the fact that they're clothed in white raiment. There's a righteousness element to them. We've got the fact that they're redeemed, and that definitely discludes any angelic being here. And uh, we've got the fact that they've got crowns in their head, and of course the church is pictorial with crowns on her head as the believers. And then we put all this together with the final fact or the final kicker, I will say, and why I believe this is the church. Because at this point in heaven, the only resurrected people in heaven at this point are those that are in Christ. Only the believers. The Old Testament saints haven't received their resurrected bodies yet. Turn to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12 and verse number 1. Daniel 12 verse 1 says this, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. This is Michael, the archangel, the defender of Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was there as it was as a nation, even to that same time. Again, this is tribulation period stuff, I believe, prophetically. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. This is the resurrection of uh, Old Testament saints. This is a resurrection of uh, tribulation saints. And when I say resurrection, I mean their body and their spirit being uh, glorified and united. But for New Testament saints, let's turn to 1 Timothy, no, 1 Thessalonians, sorry. Verse, chapter 4, verse 16. This is the rapture. 
1 Thessalonians 4, 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. And that's a little important phrase. We're going to have a look at that as we get on in Revelation a little bit. And with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. What does that mean? There is a, a uniting of body, soul, and spirit for those that are in Christ when he returns. We receive our glorified bodies and we go to be with him. The Old Testament saints are in heaven with him. They haven't experienced the bodily resurrection yet, but they will when the Lord comes back in his second coming. So we put all this together and and also then just a a little final thought if you turn to Romans chapter 8 and verse 17 one of the great promises to the the New Testament believer one of the great promises to the church says this if children then heirs heirs of God joint heirs with Christ that if we suffer with him that we might also be glorified together so when we put all this together I think there's a stronger argument Personally, that the 24 elders that are seated around the throne, on their thrones, are really indeed the church rather than the church in Israel. I think Israel comes into play when the Lord returns in the heavenly picture, really and truly. Um, it's more of a church scene until uh, the tribulation period and God picks up. This is really, I believe, the church before the Lord. But like I said, I won't fall out with you. But I would say, of the three type of views, I would discount the angelic beings. Israel and the church, there's an argument that can be made for that. Absolutely there is. But there's also an argument which I think is the stronger one, and it's my personal personal view that this is representative of the church. So that's a view around the throne. We can move on quickly and we can talk about this after if you need to speak. This is verse 5 of Revelation 4. This is the view uh, out of the throne. So this is really, we're getting this panoramic view of the throne of heaven. Verse 5, out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God. So just a quick cursory reading of that language brings us Lightning and thunder and should bring us to the point where we're thinking about judgment here in some form. And if we're thinking about, you know, the presence of God, the holiness of God, the reverence of God, um, you know, the judgment of God, we can think about Sinai, the giving of the law. You know, we had lightnings and thunderings there. And in the book of Revelation, turn to Revelation 8, 5. You'll see this language used in regards to judgment being poured out. Revelation 8, verse 5. And the angel took the censer, filled it with fire of the altar, cast it into the earth, and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. So you get this pictorial language, Revelation 11, verse 9. Say it again. Revelation 11, verse 9. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies uh, three and a half days. I've probably a wrong word. No, it is. Continue on, Kevin. And shall suffer their dead bodies to be put in the graves. Um, so uh, they shall dwell upon the earth, they shall rejoice over them, uh, make merry, send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. This is the, the two uh, prophets, uh, of course, the two witnesses. Um, I got my reference wrong, but I'm in the right area. So if you go to verse uh, 5, any man hurt them, fire proceeded out of their mouth and devoured their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. And again, you can go through another other passages in Revelation and see this type of of, of language and and 
fire and thunderings. And it, it is, it's, it's, it's to do with, with judgment. And it's interesting as well uh, to, to look at uh, fire, especially from heaven to earth, in, in context, dispensational context, and you will see that that's something that goes on in, in an Old Testament economy that comes back in the tribulation period and is associated with that, but not for us today as the church in the age of grace, thankfully. But when we get to this scene in heaven, we see this, and it's really just a, a, this judgment that we're seeing in Revelation 4 that's around the throne is a, a prelude of what's coming. Because this throne, although it is a throne of grace, although it is a throne of government, it is a throne of judgment. And we're building to what's going to be poured out from the throne room of heaven upon earth. And and that judgment is going to be fearful. Um, Revelation 4 verse 5, we have the seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. We've encountered the seven spirits of God already through Revelation. Uh, it takes us back to Isaiah 11 2 as the cross reference and, and picturing the, the, the fullness of the work of the Holy Spirit. So this judgment that we're going to see coming out of this throne is, is fearful and it's factful. There's no uh, mistakes in the judgment. It's, it's signed, sealed, done, delivered. There's no trial that's going to happen because it's already, uh, there's only going to be verdict given. Judgment is coming and it's coming from this throne and it's a judgment that is right. There'll be no false evidence be able to pulled up. There'll be no cross-examination pulled up. I don't know if you're watching the, the debacle that is Johnny Depp and whatever her name is, the trial that's going on. Nonsense, this and that. They're, 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 I don't know, I'll get myself in trouble here. But they're, they're <laughs> shall I get myself in trouble? They're two cretins. That's what they are. They're both of them, they're as bad as each other, honestly. You can just. Have you ever met people like that that are just, as a partnership together, they're just toxic? That's, that's them too. That's them too. But, you know, everybody's being trolled out, cross examined, all this and all that. When it comes to the judgment that comes from the throne of God, there'll be none of that. Just the sentence, done, the facts will be laid bare. All right, good. we're going to get through this. Thank praise the Lord. Uh, fourth point, and this will close us, and hopefully we, we can get through. We need to spend a lot of time in here. And this is the view before the throne. So look at Revelation 4, verse 6. It says, And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and the midst of the throne, round about the throne, there were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. So, you know, you think, <laughs> I want to say, here we go. Because when we get into Revelation, we've got to do some work. You know, if you think it's work to have a look and find out who the 24 elders are, you start to have to put things together when you start to talk about these four beasts full of eyes. And, you know, we haven't even read the rest of it, and we will as we we get on, but it can be done. It can be done, and we can get to a good understanding of what the Lord wants us to understand from this. But the first thing that pops out there in Revelation 6 is the uh, throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. Now, if you think about the sea, um, you may say it's crystal clear depending on where you're going on holiday, but usually it's undulating, it's moving, and and crystal's fixed, isn't it? It's not a moving thing, it's a solid thing. Now, the Jewish mind, when they think about this, the the sea of crystal, they're going to go back to the the Old Testament, they're probably going to go back to Solomon's temple, and if you, you know, if you've looked at Solomon's temple, there's a piece of furniture known as the molten sea of 
brass. Again, development. Solomon's temple was a development of the tabernacle, and there was little things added or embellished on it, and you can find this in Kings. Um, but like the, like the laver um, in the, the tabernacle, this was a place that was uh, used for constant cleansing. Because, you know, in, in the tabernacle, in the temple, the priests had to be constantly washing their hands and their feet. And that's pictorial of their, their walk and their work. It's very pictorial stuff. But they had to be cleansing all the time. And, uh, you know, for, but for us, when we think about um, kind of moving that forward, because the, the tabernacle especially, it's given as, as a shadow and type of things to come in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that great basin, that laver where they washed, is really pictorial of the, of the Word of God. Uh, and because the Word of God is the sanctifying agent for the believer today. Uh, Jesus himself says, sanctify, um, oh, come on, help me. Sanctify us through your Word. That Word is truth. That's right. Yes, he does say that. That's it. Uh, Ephesians uh, 5.26, Paul says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word in reference to the church. Um, So the heavenly sea, we look at this and we put it together. If in the Old Testament the the molten sea and the laver was pictorial of of washing, ceremonial cleansing for to be fit for the, the work of God and we bring it forward into the New Testament and we know it's the word of God that sanctifies us, that cleanses us, that washes us. When we get to this uh, sea in heaven, we can't say that this is a sanctifying sea. Why not? It's not moving, but more so, where is it? Is there any sanctification that's needed in heaven? No. Why? Done. It's done. There's no sin in heaven, is there? There's nothing. Nothing. You know, on earth, the ceremonial cleansing, on earth for us, the washing of the water of the word is sanctification as we grow in the Lord. And why do we have to do that? Because we're not perfect. We're not glorified. We're not yet what we will be. But in heaven, there is no need to wash your dirty hands because your heart, your hands, everything about you is perfectly clean. So this sea, it's not a sea of sanctification, but I do think it is representative of the Word of God. And this is not an undulating sea. It is fixed. It is clear. It is solid. What a beautiful picture of the Word of God in its perfect place, heaven. It's beautiful, beautiful pictorial uh, language. So I think the sea completely... Pictures complete sanctification, perfect sanctification for those that stand upon it. And a little bit later on in Revelation, we're going to see that the, the, the elders and uh, uh, saints are standing upon that. And that's a beautiful picture, standing upon the solid word of God. That's why I put standing in the promises in the first song this evening. So we've got the, the, the sea of crystal. Now we want to get into uh, the more difficult Uh, Part of it, round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. These four beasts in in the Greek is Zoa. They're maybe probably a better uh, translation than beasts as living creatures. That might might help you a little bit there. They're full of eyes. And again, with Revelation, you've got to remember that there is language that is both pictorial and, and literal in there. That yes, they are full of eyes, but also it's picturing something. And, you know, full of eyes, I think, just pictures their uh, insight possibly into uh, matters. 
But let, let's, let's read on in Revelation 4, because now we've got a description of these. So you think it's bad. We've got four living creatures full of eyes. Now we're going to read about them. Verse number 7. The first beast was like a lion. The second beast like a calf. The third beast had a face as a man. The fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts each had each of them six wings about them. They were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. So here we have the description. We have these four living creatures, these four beasts, and we have the lion, the calf, the man, and the eagle. Now, this is biblical imagery that we see throughout Scripture. So, you know, it's not new imagery that's being put in there. So if you turn to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter number 1, um, we'll see similar imagery. Ezekiel 1 and, and verse number 3. Ezekiel's another book that you can have some fun in trying to, <laughs> trying to interpret. <laughs> yeah, if you're just new in the Lord... Ezekiel's probably not the book that you want to study. <laughs> Wheels within Wheels. You've been there. David's been there. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 3. And the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzai, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chabar. Hand of the Lord was upon him. And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and fire. Again, so we picture in that, that whole uh, judgment that's going on there. And folding itself, and brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof, the color of amber, out of the midst of fire. So again, we've got similar, similar languages going on here. Out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures, or zoa, beasts in the, the Greek. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Every one of them had four faces. Every one of them had four fing, uh, wings. And their feet were straight feet. The soles of their feet were like the soles of a calf foot. And they sparked like the color of burnished brass. And they had the hands of the man under their wings and the four sides. They had four faces and their four wings. Their wings were joined one to another. They turned not when they went. They went everyone straight forward. And for the likeness of their faces... They four had the face of a man, the face of a lion. On the right side, the face of an ox. On the left side, and they had uh, the face of an ox. On the left side, they four also had the face of an eagle. So again, it's similar language, but it's not the same. These are not the same creatures. They're similar creatures, but they're not the same. But that language is is familiar. The man, the lion, the ox, the the eagle. It's similar. Imagery, the number four again repeats, and the number four is an important number in Scripture. But there are similarities. What do the similarities point us to? Turn to Numbers chapter number two. Because they point us to Israel. Point us to Israel. Numbers chapter two. Here we have the arrangement of the, 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 the tribes of Israel as they're in the wilderness, as they had to camp. They had to arrange themselves in, in a proper order. They had to be organized because, you know, there is, is, is a lot of them. 
Um, when they marched, they marched in, in four groups of three. So they divided down into four groups of three. And in that group, each group of three, they would have one tribe that would be the lead tribe in the marching order. And that tribe would then fly their banner uh, of representative of their, of their tribe. So uh, Numbers uh, chapter number two. Verse 1 says, The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, Every man of the children of Israel shall pitch by his own standard the ensign of their father's house far off about the tabernacle of the congregation they shall pitch. And on the east side toward the rising of the sun they shall of the standard of the camp of Judah pitch throughout their armies. And you can go through this in your own time, read through, and you'll see north, south, east, and west is where they they pitched and uh, they would have sat in four sections. Now, let me just, I think I've got off. Okay, so you can't, you can't really see this, but, but this, is, this is how they would have marched. They would have marched in the same order. So you can see they're in four uh, groups of three, and, and they have in the three groups, you have Dan, I can't read that, uh, Dan, Asher, Nathali, you have Laden at the front, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. Uh, this is all from Numbers chapter 2. And when they marched, they would march in these four groups of three. And the head of the group of three, their banner, you can see the banners there. Um, and that, so that's the banner of, of Judah there. That would have been uh, put forward. So, and, and then when they got to, let me go, there we go. So when we get to the camp, this is how they would camp. This is a perfect picture of the cross, by the way. But this is the, the tabernacle. This is how they would camp as, as uh, Numbers 2 has laid out in these four sections. So in the camping and the marching of Israel, you, you would find that, uh, first of all, you have, and certainly when they're marching, it's led by the camp of Judah, three tribes in that, and then the ensign, the banner of Judah, was displayed, and the banner of Judah was the lion. Okay. Then you had the camp of Ephraim, that was the next group of three, and uh, its standard bared the ox. That was the standard of Ephraim. Then you had the camp of Reuben. And again, that, the three tribes that were involved in that as they marched, that was the figure of a man. Then finally, you had the camp of Dan, and that was the figure of the eagle. So this imagery that we're seeing in Revelation with these four faces, this imagery that we're seeing in Ezekiel with these four faces is uh, imagery that is associated primarily with Israel and the tribes of Israel. That's another indication that when we get in for Revelation 4 on, that we're not dealing with church. This is not church language. And you might say to me, well, I know some other imagery. I know some other imagery uh, around uh, this. And you've got it on the, on the side there. Well, we've got the four Gospels. We've got the four Gospels. We've got uh, the Gospel of Matthew as the lion, the Gospel of Mark as the ox, the Gospel of Luke as the man, and the Gospel of John as the eagle. And, and that is true. Those are the, the four faces of the Gospel, the four aspects of the Gospel. But you have to remember that Christ is of the tribe of Judah. And first and foremost, he came unto his own, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Israel. So this language, although we can associate it to Christ, we have to primarily associate it to Israel. And that's what's going on in Revelation uh, chapter number 4. These beasts 
are picturing uh, the tribes of Israel, showing something about uh, the glory of God and the picture of God. And it, and it points us. These faces also appear in the Noahic Covenant. If you get some time, you want to have a look there. And so that's uh, Genesis chapter 9, verses 9 to 11. The covenant, uh, the Noahic Covenant that, that's laid down there, you'll see, see the four uh, different types in there, man, birds, cattle, and beasts. So there's a lot going on and a lot of pictorial language happening here. And uh, again, God has us in here for a purpose. And we're pointed to a time because this judgment is really a judgment, although it's upon the whole world, it's really the time of Jacob's trouble. Israel is the focus here. And straight away, Revelation 4, we're seeing this uh, Israel-centric uh, language. And the purpose of these uh, beasts, verse 9 of Revelation 4, says, And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat upon the throne, who liveth forever and ever. That's what they're doing. Verse 8 says that they're saying day and night, they rest not day and night, saying holy, holy, holy. I think I've told you before, when you see a three-time repetition in, in biblical language, it speaks of eternality. So you'll see this in Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, holy, holy, holy. It's a repetition, picture of eternal holiness. And this is what's going on here. This is an eternal call. This is an eternal praise from these beasts. Glory and honor and thanks to him that is sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever. Then notice verse 10 what the elders do. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. This is the church representative, I believe. It's a representation of what happens at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Before we, we are raptured, we meet the Lord in the air, and I believe then we deal with the Lord when we get to heaven in terms of our service, and we want to throw these crowns down before him. But remember, this is representative of, of, of the church, and they throw their crowns down before him, and once they've thrown their crowns down before him, they cry out together, They are worthy, O Lord. To receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they were and are. Or sorry, are and were created. And here's the thing. If you take anything away from all this this evening. You know, you know, it's good to know about the standards and the banners of the tribes of Israel. It's good to know what these four faces are representative. But here's what you want to take away from this whole study around the throne of God. That heaven is Christocentric. He is the glory piece of heaven. And our response when we see him will be the response of these elders. We will fall on our face and we will worship him and we will say, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Earth is a place where we do glorify God at times, but it's a forward glorification. It's an up and down glorification. It's we, one minute we praise him, next minute we forget about him. There are many in the world today that blaspheme him and don't glorify him at all. But when we get to the eternal state, it will be eternal praise of the eternal one who has saved our souls and given us heaven. 
And because I often think, you know, my heart's grieved that, that God doesn't get the glory he deserves, that the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't get the glory he deserves as the one that hang upon Calvary's tree for us. And I must, I think, Lord, is your heart not grieved that you don't receive that which is due you? But I'm thinking from a temporal perspective. I'm thinking of timeline of human history, which is nothing compared to eternity. One day the Lord will receive the glory he is due. And if you're here tonight and you're a believer, you're born again, you're in him, you will have the privilege of getting to the place where you can give him the perfect glory that he is due. Not just for a week, not just for a month, forever. What a place it is at the throne of heaven. We'll leave it there this week. Next week, we'll come back and we'll, we'll get into Revelation chapter number 5. We're going to have a look at the seven seal scrolls and we're going to have a look at the worthy one. And again, I love this. I love chapter 5 of Revelation. No man can open the scroll. No man is worthy to redeem the earth. But the Lord Jesus Christ steps up, the great redeemer.